We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? Thanks for tuning in. I'm Brian Scott Rippy. This is the Rippy Writes podcast. Got a little bit of a different show for you guys today on the day after Thanksgiving. I was going to do a little bit with Chase Parham, a little bit with Weldon Rodenberg on Ole Miss's 31-21 win over Mississippi State. Weldon had the audacity to spend uh, time with his family on Thanksgiving weekend, despite the millions I pay him to do this podcast. So uh, just Chase today. But Chase and I ended up talking for about an hour. Um, I think he'll enjoy the conversation about Matt Corral, what Ole Miss did last night to be successful at the line of scrimmage, the legacy of this team, and a lot of big picture stuff as well, what it means for both programs in the state as well as kind of Ole Miss's ascension and where they are. So just Chase today, we'll have Weldon and uh, kind of our normal Sunday uh, marathon of a show about college football regular season recap as a whole. And, of course, we'll hit on some of this game as well. But uh, before we get to that, I want to remind you, the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Skybox is doing a giveaway right now where if you go to their website and buy a picks package, use the promo code contest. That's not to be confused with the promo code Rippy. We'll get back to that in a couple of weeks. Promo code contest. You'll get 25% off that purchase. And then you'll be entered into a drawing with a chance to win a hundred bucks or one week's worth of free picks. So all you have to do is go in, buy a package, use the promo code contest, and then go follow Skybox. That's at Skybox Picks on Twitter. And then, retweet that tweet if you have any if you have a referral so if you get someone else to do it that's an additional entry into the contest so that would be more chances for you to win a hundred bucks cash no questions asked or a free week's worth of picks so go check them out right now go see what all the great picks packages they got if you uh, had a rough day on the uh, on the old book for thanksgiving this is no better time to make it back right now than with skybox i promise you they'll help lead you out of your hole and into profit more consistently than you will on your own because that's how you got there in the first place. Check them out. These guys are the best in the business. They're going to have a picks package to fit your price range. Go to skyboxsportspicks.com. They're giving daily free plays in basketball, by the way. Go to skyboxsportspicks.com slash free play, and you get a daily free play for the people every day during college basketball season. By far their most effective model. Check them out. They're the best. Skybox, a podcast also brought to you by LV's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywrights.substack.com. You get a free newsletter for me three to five times a week, plus discounted meats. Subscribers right now get a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's one hell of a way to kickstart your weekend. You need to go find your all your own favorite items at LB's because Greg wants to make your grilling experience better. Crab stuffed mushrooms, fresh seafood, lane train special, bacon wrap filet. Check them out. It's the best place in Mississippi to get meat. Love it when people tag me. Uh, their finished products on the grill, perhaps already being eaten or just on the grill in general uh, from their trip to LB's. It's awesome. Please keep sending those my way. Check them out. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. All right. Buckle up. This is a great conversation with Chase. And then I'll be back with Weldon on Sunday. All right, we now welcome on Chase Parham. You might know him from the uh, Oxford Exxon podcast. He and his buddy Nick, up and comers in the game, happy to give you guys some uh, shine. Be sure to check them out. Get them before they were cool. Like and subscribe. 
Uh, here to talk some Egg Bowl, Ole Miss wins 31-21 over Mississippi State. Uh, day after Thanksgiving, how uh, how are you? I'm good. I'm a little tired. We went to uh, about 120 last night with the uh, – or this morning, I guess you would say, with the post-game show. But it's a pretty light day. Going to watch a little football. Um, just kind of uh, just kind of hang out. You know, I'm and I'm still kind of processing. I feel like today's a good day to – do kind of the micro and the macro because the way we do post game, I mean, you know, because you call in and we, we, we write a little bit and then we talk to fans, we talk to you, we talk to Jeffrey, we do all these different things. You don't necessarily have time to really figure out what it is that you feel like is the main idea of it till the next day. And I feel like this story has so many levels of where Ole Miss was two years ago, four years ago compared to today that, I mean, I know everybody makes the joke on social media and everybody understands this. So I don't want to be overly cliche, cliche, but it's just remarkable. I mean, the number of things that had to happen for Ole Miss to be back in an access bowl, to put up 10 wins in the regular season. It's been a pretty charmed 18 to 24 months after, you know, it's, it's, it's a fan base that went to, went through hell through recruit, through uh, probation, through all the different things that went on that were just kind of embarrassing as, as, as a program to get back here, for all that to be in the, the rearview mirror, and for Ole Miss to just be an upper-tier SEC program with no baggage for the most part, it's a, it, it's been a remarkable story. And the credit is widespread and layered, just like you said, right? I mean, it's a credit to Keith Carter for going out and making a splash, which he was on a – he was really not – he never beat around the bush when it came to that. I mean, he openly said that when the hire was made. Uh, I think he kind of – had the picture in mind of, you know, people drinking beer the Monday of finals week in the pavilion. Like he kind of wanted to get people reinvigorated again. You know, it's credit to Lane Kiffin for, you know, putting the pieces in place, hiring the right staff and turning Matt Corral into something. And then credit to Matt Corral for sticking with Ole Miss when, you know, he had really every reason to leave. And you're right. It's a layered story and the credit is dispersed kind of, kind of, not equally, I would say, but definitely to different people throughout. But it really is so many things have to happen. And there's a lot of symmetry to it. You mentioned two years and four years ago. Well, that also ended on that same field they were on last night. Think about where they were two years ago, leaving that night after the piss and miss, you know, to now. And then even four years ago, where they do win the game, and it's like a short-term happy moment, but it was kind of the peak of the vitriol of the rivalry and all that you know, the DK Metcalf dog pee, and then they get kind of goaded into hiring someone who shouldn't have had the job based on that one game. And so you can look at it through a two-year lens, a four-year lens. You're, you're right. It is remarkable. And that's kind of what I wanted to lead with you guys for uh, as much as uh, people complain about some drunk callers sometimes, that does take a temperature of the fan base. You guys' post-game show, you get to talk directly to the fans. What was the mood like last night? And how is it maybe different than A&M or other big wins? It was excitement because there's such a relief that comes with an egg ball win when it comes to, to Ole Miss fans. Because A&M, that was a big win. And I, I don't want to make too much of the few people who were unhappy or annoyed because I know a lot of people were excited and the environment was good. You were there and the stadium uh, atmosphere was great. But there was this sense of dread a little bit from the standpoint of now we need to finish it. Now you still got to get the win in the egg bowl because – there's stakes. And when there's stakes on something, it's not just emotions. It's not just, hey, let's go into this. And, yeah, we really want to win because that guy's a state fan and he's an asshole and he's going to talk crap at the water cooler on Monday. And instead of that, it's, hey, there's a chance at a 10-win season. There's a chance, hey, we got Lane Kiffin doing whatever Lane Kiffin's doing and other jobs and everything. There was so much tension on last night in some indirect, strange ways that I felt like once Ole Miss won the game, once it was over, you got kind of in a euphoria a little bit. I felt like it was the the relief, it was the the exhale, it was the excitement, and everything built into one. I mean, it was it was jubilation on the call-in show last night, and I think that in a lot of ways, fans were able to take that two-year, that four-year view and go, "Wow, you know, they've got here where so many teams are playing football still on Saturday, and Ole Miss is in the clubhouse, and they've got an access bowl if they're ready." We know. I mean, you and I were just discussing, I mean, am I going to play golf in Phoenix or am I going to New Orleans or Atlanta or whatever? I mean, it's 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 pretty remarkable from that standpoint. And I felt like it was just an exhale. They went, hey, this season did happen. Kind of back at it a little bit. It was the – and I've used this analogy too much. I've got to stop. But it was the last bit of scar tissue being removed from all the crap over the years. That This was the final thing of – hey, look what State did, look what Leo Lewis did, look what Steve Robertson did, look what Jeffrey Vitter did, look what Lee Tyner did, look what all this stuff that happened, and we're back. 
from where it started, the you know, the, the Sugar Bowl in 2015, that was Jeffrey Bitter's first day as the chancellor at the University of Mississippi was the day of the Sugar Bowl. And now here it's been five years later and they're back and you're, 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 you're there and you, you kind of, you've kind of overcome all that stuff and, you know, you're still standing. And, and, and at the same time, state has been mired in relative mediocrity with, with, with their program right now. So there was a stark difference between not just the teams and not just about winning the game, but that program last night um, or those two programs last night, because, you know, and look, I, I did it on the the show for a second. I mean, I've talked about it a lot. We don't have to necessarily rehash the whole thing. But you're so close to when you look back at that two years that everything that happened. I mean, just to kind of quickly go through it, State fires Joe Moorhead after he wins the Egg Bowl a couple times, um, which is weird in and of itself. Ole Miss that night, probably not firing Matt Luke. Something happens over the next 48, 72 hours. You end up having a coaching change. Frankly, at first, you know, Keith Carter didn't give Lane Kiffin a lot of traction. That was not necessarily going to be a thing at the very beginning. Um, Ole Miss was not too far away from hiring Elijah Drinkwitz. And you look how different that would be. Not that Drinkwitz would be a bad hire, but he wouldn't be Lane Kiffin. They wouldn't be 10-2 and two right now. That would not be the case. Um, you know, we would be discussing whether or not he was a dork or making fun of Mullen in a more positive way or something like that. But there's a very real alternate reality that – I mentioned last night where Lane Kiffin is at Arkansas because he was getting out of FAU. He was going to Ole Miss or Arkansas. You could have Lane Kiffin at Arkansas. You could have Matt Corral winning the Heisman Trophy and guiding Oregon to the playoff right now because he was leaving heading there. You you could have Drinkwitz at Ole Miss taking Ole Miss to the Duke Mayo Bowl or whatever it is they would be doing at seven or eight wins or or, or whatever. All of those things kind of coming in. I mean, you've got, you know, Keith Carter not really necessarily going against, but not taking all the external pressure to hire certain guys, going to get his guy once he desired, you know, desired on Lane Kiffin. It, it, there was a lot of headstrong things in positive ways that got here. Matt Corral believing in Lane Kiffin, believing in Jeff Levy, thinking this was the right path because, you know, I think you're going to write about it. Matt Corral deserves probably his own show. Um, and we'll talk about that a lot as we get through this month, but just the maturity level, the way that him and Kiffin have, mingled and mixed together it's a kid that is a true freshman was calling his own plays and ignoring the offensive coordinator and being essentially a renegade because he hated rich rodriguez's system is a freshman at Ole miss to a guy who's a leader the ultimate team guy probably became a bit of a legend last night and will go down as one of the top three or four quarterbacks in Ole miss history i mean it's it's been a it's been a hell of a ride from that standpoint because when you look back at 18 or, or and said, hey, or I guess, yeah, I guess 18, and said, this is what this is going to become, my God. I mean, it's just not something I ever would have imagined. It really is. And getting back to the part about, you know, the watching it and there being an existential kind of exhale or collective exhale amongst the fan base, my poor dad, well, Miss fan, you know, went to college there season tickets for you know 20 some odd years and I'm watching him watch that game last night I was texting another buddy who grew up kind of in the same way and was like does anyone actually enjoy watching this like does anyone gather around their tv right now enjoy watching it and I think when you add stakes to a game like that it only feels fuels the fire and I think you're right it was it was about completing it and kind of bookending everything and I think it's well said it is the last bit of scar tissue from that whole really half decade of turmoil and dysfunction. I did not realize Jeff Vitter's first job was the egg bowl. I, the uh, sugar very bowl. first day that son took the job. And he that was, day the, one. that was the night Ole Miss hammered Oklahoma state. That was day one, January one, 2016. He got a sick Twitter pick out of it. The him with the glasses and the confetti, that might've been the greatest day on the job, which is generally not a great indicator of how that's going to go. If you're first, if you knew, if he knew up front, his first day was going to be his best one that, uh, that might, might not go well for our, uh, our man Jeff, but it did right, not take long of, from him to go to that to gumballs to hostage video. Yes, like it, it was quick. I wonder, I've always wondered what he's sitting there thinking that day with the hostage video because he hasn't yet kind of dipped his toe in the waters yet of athletics and commandeered, you know, away from the Dave Dorn hire. I wonder if he's looking at Hugh Freeze at Ross Bjork and is like, How did I get here? Like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a tech nerd. I actually feel the most badly for Ross that day, simply from the standpoint of he didn't want Vitter up there talking. It was like, hey, can 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 he and I just handle this? Like, do we do we really need that? Do we do we need to do that? Because 
you know, look, your AD needed to be there. If Freeze was willing to be up there, he needed to be there. The Chancellor is what turned it into a hostage video because yes. you've got this stiff guy that doesn't speak well in groups or in, in front of crowds, and he's just sort of hanging there. I mean, it definitely it looks, looks like, like he's holding the newspaper up. It looks like three stooges. When you add a third to the mix, it looks bizarre. If you had two dudes in a coat and tie reciting something off a teleprompter, it's like, okay, this is the way it goes. The third one made them look like stooges. The other thing, too, that you just mentioned, and I thought about this from scar tissue from what last night did, just to kind of back up my point with one more thought, is I think for Ole Miss fans, the intro to that game, were you watching on TV at the very beginning? Uh, Um, Yes. When Tessator was doing the whole, hey, this is the Egg Bowl, and it's so tense, and it's hated, and it's whatever, I felt like Ole Miss fans kind of bristled at that a little bit because obviously they care. I mean, anybody tells you that that's not a rival or they don't care, that's crap. But I don't think Ole Miss is comfortable with being the nation's Thanksgiving circus act. And if it's just a heated rivalry that's a good game, that's one thing, but that – hey, somebody's going to act like a dog and pee on the field or they're going to fight or they're going to do all those things. I feel like Ole Miss kind of gets tired of that. And I thought that last night was a really good step on, at least from their side, not being associated with that part of the rivalry quite as much where it looks like it's just all chaos and a bunch of uneducated idiots swinging at one another and kind of crap like that, where ESPN sort of played into it more than I would have expected last night. You know, there were several times where State was kind of mouthing off and being chippy. And Ole Miss the held end their, too, that onside kick. Yeah, Ole Miss held their calm pretty damn well last night. I mean, frankly, Kiffin is probably the one that went above and beyond more than anybody else. From a player standpoint, everybody kind of hung in there and just won the football game. It didn't call, get caught up in the extracurriculars. And I thought that it was a not even necessarily a step, but when you come into next year's game and you go, oh, God, both sides or whatever – that's going to be disingenuous because I felt like Ole Miss just went on the road and won an SEC football game. And it was a rival. They were excited. They grabbed the trophy. But there wasn't this, oh, my God, we hate them and have to kill them thought to that game. Yeah, you're spot on with that because another – and one of the things I thought Kiffin did smartly this week, whether this is public facing or there's any merit to him actually preaching to his players to this, the saying – Let's focus on getting 10 wins. Let's do something we've never done before here. Let's get 10 wins in a regular season. He had the Pete Carroll quote that he gave to the TV guys about, you know, if you're going to do something, you might as well do it better than anyone else who's done it before. Let's try to do something that hasn't been accomplished here. And as much as the broadcast tried to play into the egg bowl side of it, you would always like the retort or kind of the next thing that added context to it was, you know, well, Lane Kiffin says they're trying to do the 10 win thing. And I think you're right. And the point you made earlier about this five years and the kind of last bit of scar tissue is you had a a second in there where you said, you know, state has been mired in mediocrity since and Ole Miss is not comfortable with the becoming the national circus act on Thanksgiving night. You know, who's completely comfortable with that is the other side. And Weldon, Weldon and I talked about this, particularly when it wasn't going well for Mississippi state early on in the year and credit to them for turning it around. I never thought they were quite as bad as they looked in the first month, but we, when we would talk about it, Weldon who worked recruiting kids in state worked recruiting kids out of state said, you know, that's, that's all they had to not all they had to sell, but their main selling point is, Hey, look at Ole Miss, like come here. They're a clown show. And now that Ole Miss is good and they don't have that, like there's really that's really the only way where they can kind of bring Ole Miss back in. It's almost like they're pulling them back into the mudslinging. And Ole Miss kind of rose above that last night. And I think now spinning it forward, it's about how you have the program stability to remain above it. Can you remain a better program than for three, four, five more years? Because you know Ole Miss was close to there, right? The Sugar Bowl in fifteen as t- State took a step back. But all the off the field and the NCA stuff eventually brought them back down. And I get that there was a Mississippi State aspect to that. But now you're right. It looks like they rose above that. And on top of that, I'm curious to see how long they can stay above that. Yeah, you know, state people will bristle at this. And, I mean, I would probably bristle at it if I was a state fan too. But I I don't think it's debatable that Ole Miss has a larger and more successful national brand than Mississippi State. Has the ability to recruit more nationally if things are going well. If both sides are equally efficient, then Ole Miss is going to do a better job of recruiting kids outside the state of Mississippi. They just are. They, they have more brand awareness from that standpoint. State can be good. I mean, they're going to beat Ole Miss again. It's not like I'm saying they're going to suck or anything. 
But their best case scenario is for Ole Miss to become consumed with them because that brings Ole Miss back down to their level a little bit. It lets them have an equal footing there because for State to have those really special seasons, they have to make sure Arkansas and Ole Miss have not run away from them. And then they have to hope that some other program is in some chaos. LSU for now. Yeah, whatever. Auburn, LSU, take your pick. And then they beat Kentucky. You know, and all of a sudden, oh, well, that's four or five SEC wins. That's nine wins on the season if you win your non-conference games. I mean, there's there's a lot you can do that. Their danger is Ole Miss not focus, focusing on them, Ole Miss not getting down in the muck in that situation, and Ole Miss and Arkansas just going, hey, we've got more brand awareness than Mississippi State. Let's just be SEC programs. Let's do the best we can. Let's move up and tier a little bit because when the West has Ole Miss and Arkansas really good, the West is a bitch, and yes, when is. that's the case, State's in a little bit of a weird spot, especially with Michael Leach from the standpoint of I just don't buy that that offense – look, it can win games, it can pull upsets, but I don't think that's like defense and basketball where it shows up 12 times a year. I mean, it's going to have days where that shit just doesn't work. Like not running the football in the red zone last night. And look, but the credit to him, he has learned to run it. I mean, my brother at Thanksgiving lunch yesterday showed me the clip of him at Washington State where he goes, well, we're not 50-50 run because we're 50% pass and the other 50% we're not, he goes, we're 50% pass and 50% not stupid. And that clip's kind of gone viral and you know over the years. But to his credit, he learned to run the football a just a tad bit down the stretch. And I think mm-hmm. that's what correlated to some of their later season success. But you're right. There's a ceiling to that because if, it's still not near enough. If you don't commit to running the football in this league, there is a ceiling. And look, you're going to have days where you blitz Auburn in the second half and get them all kind of – I mean, we described their – on the podcast one time, we described their offense as like an avalanche. When that thing comes down, it's hard to stop because it's the same thing over and over again. And so if you're not figuring out how to stop it, you're not stopping that shit on the fly and it can really get away from you. But it's – you're right. I don't think it shows up 12 times a year. And so as we kind of get into this game, like just a little bit, a couple of thoughts, you mentioned the chippiness. Get the chippiest guy in the game was my man, Mac Brown. And I haven't done a whole lot right in this short – half career you would call it but the bad boy moniker he had one regular season game left and you can't tell me that bad boy mac brown the nickname the legend wasn't in his head a little bit it's not just the sideline someone someone i think a podcast listener tweeted me a video not only the sideline hit that got no love from the announcers he runs down on a punt shoves a guy over the pile and then walks up to another guy and shoulder checks him he was out for blood did you notice that last night it reminded me of when Gary Wonderlick got kicked out of the Memphis game yeah. a few years ago. When, when, when the kicker was ejected against Memphis, I think is what, is what it was. Like It's like Gary was going against the hometown team, and he was fired up. And Mac, I mean, Neil mentioned it several times when we were watching. He was like, God, that's Mac Brandon on the tackle again. Like, he was it, – it wasn't like, he hey, was I'm going to run or I'm going to do whatever and I'm going to go to the sidelines. I mean, that dude was trying to create chaos in the middle of the field. It was like, all right, we're, we're hitting somebody right now. Hell, yes, he was. I felt like a proud sibling. But kind of getting into this thing, it was weird early on in the game, but it felt like Ole Miss – at what point did you feel comfortable that you thought, okay, Ole Miss is going to kind of take control of this game? To me, and the obvious one is the stop at, at, to come out of the half after they're up 10-6, to six. but the first two red zone drives before the one right for halftime, so when they got to six points, the way mm-hmm. they were not breaking when the field shrunk I was like, okay, they're going to be fine in this game, and if they can figure it out a little bit offensively, they might actually really take control, and that's what ended up happening. If you look at it just from a numbers perspective, I always always like going back and looking at the box score because I think it can paint like a pretty accurate broad picture without the details. But if you're Ole Miss, this game played out exactly like you would thought if if they're operating at peak capacity, I guess for lack of a better phrase, Drummond. 13 catches for 133. That's the guy in the slot that's sort of been a mismatch all year. Um, you know, Ely, 16 carries, 60 yards. You probably like to see that a little better, but Matt Corral factoring in the run game, adding 50-something yards. You know, they won time of possession, which is the most surprising stat. But just to me, it seemed like they were just good enough in the red zone, and that's kind of what the best version of this team looked like. I don't think they played an A-plus game, but they kind of looked more like the first half of the season team. But I guess back to the question, when did you kind of feel comfortable that they were going to take over? Because to me, it was about the defense. Um, it, it was the obvious answer of, of the stop out of half um, because I just felt like they were – Ole Miss was very fortunate to be ahead at halftime. I mean, you look at it and State drops Barry. those three passes. They 
miss a couple field goals. They sputter around to where you look at it, and it wasn't necessarily that I thought Ole Miss was going to walk away with the game, but it was, oh, God, State's in trouble because when you look at how they played, they should be up 20-6 to six or 20-9 to nine or something right now where they, they're going to get the ball. I mean, they had a chance to two-for-one Ole Miss, and they get nothing out of it on either side at, at that standpoint. It just felt like, hey, Ole Miss has number two, and he's going to do something before this game is over to win this football game. State probably should have took advantage of that because they're going into the break going, damn, we're behind right now. And not just behind, but down four. I mean, we need a touchdown to get the lead. And when Ole Miss gets the stop, goes down, gets the drive, and goes up 17-6 to at that point, you went, oh, hell, State's in trouble because momentum had flipped. And, frankly, they lost confidence. I thought that it wasn't even necessarily not getting points down there at the end of the half. It was that Will Rogers suddenly is not trusting his receivers. It's that Ole Miss had found something, too, defensively to not necessarily sack him, but to disrupt some lanes, to get him out of, out of his comfort zone, to at least make him move. Because Rogers does best when he stands in the pocket, stands there flat-footed kind of and throws the football. If you get him moving at all left and right, that thing can get erratic a little bit. And Ole Miss was able to do that. He also was having to look to his left side because Sam Williams was eating Scott Lashley at that point. And Lashley was coming out of his break too early. He was freaked out. They were getting a couple motion penalties. And I felt like off the top, Rodgers is looking around, trying to figure out where number seven is for Ole Miss, and it threw everything off. And by the time you look up, Snoop's getting a little bit of traction. Corral's playing pretty well. Drummond was a beast last night. We barely really talked about him, but he, he had a hell of a game. It, it felt like for old, for State to win, they had to kind of have everything go right. And as soon as that first thing went wrong, you, it felt like a little bit of an avalanche in that direction. Yeah, and you're exactly right with Sam Williams as well. He was unblockable, on, particularly when he was on the right side. Hell, he, he got by Charles Cross, who's a hell of a football player, and probably one of the first or second offensive linemen taking this draft a couple of times. The, the one where State really kind of sputtered right before half where they dropped the three touchdown passes, the pen, the holding penalty that backed them up, he went through Cross and the guard and got held on that play. I mean, he was he was a beast, but you're right. And the other aspect I thought, too, was Ole Miss was 11-18 on third down and converted some really big ones, particularly in the middle portion of the game. And I thought that was huge because they didn't always lead to points. But the where Ole Miss is running into trouble and what State really capitalizes on is Ole Miss – Go, a team that goes tempo going three and out and state running another, you know, 11, 12 play dry and really controlling time of possession. And Ole Miss didn't let that happen. Hell, Ole Miss one time of possession in this game, as odd as that is to say, but we'd be remiss if we didn't go back to Sam Williams, a guy that going into this year, it was the, I mean, it was the textbook prove it year for a guy, right? If he has a big year, he can make a lot of money because you know what he is athletically. You've seen flashes of it. Can he become more consistent? Something Weldon's pointed out, can he be better against the run? And it really seemed like the last six games of the year, he really picked it up and turned it on. And you talk about another story that has layers to it. Um, you know, I don't have any kids that I'm pretty sure that I know of. He has a son. You know, he's talked about how that kind of changing his perspective in a life. And I just wonder if it's something that's that simple to where he kind of finally felt the sense of responsibility and like, hey, I'll, I mean, he tweeted, he had a really kind of heartfelt tweet last night about, you know, I promised my kid he wouldn't have to go through what I went through and all that. What if, like, when you look at Sam Williams' story and it, through the lens of this year, what do you kind of think of? Because you knew what he could be on the field. You finally saw it, and, man, he made a lot of money. It's a, it's, it's a maturation by necessity, but not everybody accomplishes that. I mean, a lot of people just don't come out of it. They don't take advantage of that last opportunity when it's presented. And, I mean, I – Sam seems like a good dude. I mean, you always want him to max out his potential, to max out what's there because, yeah, I mean, the, the, the sheer talent is freakish. I mean, what he can do as a pass rusher. And I go back to August, and, and actually credit to David Johnson who pointed this out the first time, and then we saw it over and over and over again. It wasn't just that even in practice there was no loafing from Sam. I mean, he was on every play. He was locked in. But he was also, like, teaching younger dudes. Like, he was going up to Cedric Johnson and all these guys and, and showing them moves and, and teaching and coaching and doing all those things. He went, that's not a Sam Williams I've seen in the past. That's a different dude on just the complete buy-in from that standpoint. I mean, you know, his relationship with Randall Joyner. I mean, everything that's going on from that standpoint, he's been a different guy all year. He leaves now with the Ole Miss sack record from an individual standpoint. He got up to, what, 12 and a half, 13, 13 and a half, something like that last night. It, it, it's it's pretty remarkable, and he is – you can make the argument he's the second most valuable player on the team other than other than Matt Corral. I mean, if you want to make that argument, just because of the pressure and the stress that he puts on team from the teams from that from that end spot. 
And the third quarter is when he really got going. He was bothering Lashley. He got through cross a little bit. And you mentioned how that's when the game swung. Just from a stats by quarter standpoint, Ole Miss, uh, during their third quarter, they had 129 yards last night in the third quarter. State was only uh, at 56 for the third quarter. So Ole Miss more than doubled State in total yards. State ran the ball seven times in the third quarter for only 13 yards. So they averaged less than two yards per carry during that quarter. While Ole Miss was kind of running and gaining separation, Sam and those guys were really stressing Will and just putting them uh, putting them in a difficult situation. And, I mean, we, we, we started this conversation with talking about transfers and overhauling the roster and doing all those things. From a leading tackler standpoint last night, here's the list for Ole Miss. Chance Campbell, Jake Springer, this is an order, Campbell, Springer, Keydrod Smith, Mark Robinson, and DeAndre Prince. Four of those five were not on the roster actively last, last year. Chance coming from Maryland, Springer being active from Navy, Mark Robinson, obviously we all know his story, and then DeAndre Prince who has left and come back during the course of his career. So you're talking about the guys who made the most stops last night. Four of the top five weren't even available this time last year. Yep, you're exactly right. And in terms of just kind of the box score showing, you know, Ole Miss operating at its best capacity, you know, with the exception of Williams, Campbell, Springer, Robinson, you're talking about arguably three of the best four players on that defense, and they were the most productive last night. One of the things, last thing about the Williams part of it, too, you could tell early on in that game there were signs of it. After the Ole Miss turnover, when Ole Miss held state to a field goal, or turnover on downs, I should say, the – the end of that drive was telling to me because Lashley had a false start with Williams lined up next to him. I think he got away with the second and then Sam Williams completely bull rushed him and he got away with the hold that would have been mm -hmm. a sack and they threw it away. State kicks it for three points, but you can tell in that moment, okay, they might have something here because you're right. When you get Rogers moving left to right, it's significantly different. When you saw him moving last night, the throws, were way more erratic. He does not want to run at all. There was a run he had that was kind of at a crucial part of the game that he probably could have gotten. I think it was like a third and 18, and he could have turned that sucker into like a third and four, but he, someone got within 10 feet of him and he slid, and it was fourth and nine. I think he's they had so to, uncomfortable in space. Yes. He wants nothing to do with it. No, it's like even when he runs, he's looking around for reasons to get down. Yeah, it's just not who he is. Like, and credit to Ole Miss for making him do that. And you know, well, the other scary thing there, real quick on that, when you mentioned Sam Williams, is it calls State to have to use that back to chip and to yep. help out. And when you do that, that takes away such a big part of State's offense because they use the backs on those damn swing passes so much. And if you've got a back back there that's having to worry about Sam Williams, he's not out running routes. And Cedric Johnson is no slouch on the other side from a pass rushing perspective, which I really think that has made that become such a formidable duo that he's really good. That's Weldon's guy. He was on him early out of Mobile. That's uh, Weldon <laughs> takes a lot of pride in uh, – and Cedric Johnson. He's been a, he's had a sneaky good year. He's one of the more underrated guys on that defense that nobody he is. He's about. he's turned into a great pass rusher. I think you nailed it with the the joiner relationship too, because Sam talked about that a couple of times throughout the year about him learning different moves and how to watch film and stuff. And you know, if you want to, you know, encapsulate it in one way, it's he kind of like bought in or fell in love or however you want to say it with like the art of the position and learning the craft other than just being a physical freak. Because when you saw loafing Sam Williams, he would just pick, oh, third down, I guess I'll turn it on here. And just how to athlete everyone to her, I think he became a more kind of technically sounded, better football player because he paid attention to the details. Last thing on the defense, got one more Kiffin thing before we get out of here. DJ Durkin, Ole Miss is not going to rank, you know, where you think they are in terms of just raw defensive numbers at the end of the year. Last night was another example, and State's the poster child of this, of empty hollow yardage. But they did give up 420 yards last night. But, I mean, how did it feel like it? No, not at all. And 115, 117 of those came after Ole Miss was kind of done playing real defense. But yeah, I mean, it was so much, it was, it was scramble mode. I mean, because yes. I really, I think you only can judge that defense last night when it goes 31 13. Yes, exactly. And so, and I think that at that point, they'd given up like 324. DJ Durkin, a guy that, you know, was much maligned after the Arkansas game. There was that dumb rumor that, you know, a couple of people texted me, was like, check out his nameplates out of the door. I'm like, I think. I don't know. I don't think so. They're polishing it. They're replacing. Yeah, exactly. It. That's not how. Know. That's not. Look, this is not NFL training camp where there's a red tag in your locker and you need to go bring your playbook. That's not really how these firing things work. But anyway, uh -huh. after that, you know, he gets Jake Springer back for that Tennessee game, and they look like a totally different defense since. They had one bad half at our Auburn in the first half. This is a guy that's made his defense better, and when you look at it compared to the talent they have on the offensive side of the ball, I don't know if it's. 
that uneven as it may have looked on paper in August, but he's certainly not necessarily working with as much. I think that's fair. He's done a hell of a job and I don't really even know how to like properly articulate how much credit he should get, but man, that's a guy that's done a hell of a job and they've gotten better as the season's gone on as the offense sort of got worse. And there's injury reasons and for that, but they needed this defense over the last month of the season. He carried the football team. And would you have believed that for a second in August? Yeah, he's going to finish scoring defense. They're going to finish somewhere between 55 and 58 in the country. And had you said that, I would have said, okay, they're going to win 10 games because the offense is going to be really good. If that scoring defense is going to go from like 125th to 57th in one year, I mean, that is one hell of a jump from a standpoint. I mean, look, it's a credit to a couple of different things, and I've got three or four thoughts on this. One is credit to Lane Kiffin because he's putting the staff together and you go get DJ Durkin, who's had all the crap at Maryland go on. I mean, a lot of coaches went, nope, I'm not dealing with that because of what his baggage or was not from the player and all the stuff that went on there in College Park. But then also, the you know, everybody talks about Lane Kiffin's ego, the lack of ego to bring in an established head coach to run the defense that has, you know, a lot of experience, has been in a lot of places. You know, it's, it's not a yes man. I mean, it's the opposite of like when Freeze would just kind of bring in whomever and really want to bring in somebody to question him a little bit. Um, Kiffin went and got Durkin. It, it's fit. He went and got Partridge to help with some recruiting, some different things. I mean, they put together a defensive staff that makes so much sense from that standpoint. And I I don't even know that I believe this, as in it's true, but I think you can make the argument that while Levy gets all the press clippings, Durkin has been the better coordinator relative to their improvement, relative to their production from a standpoint of looking at both sides of the ball for Ole Miss. Because you know, Lebby is underrated on what he's done this year because of all the injuries. They were out three wide receivers. They were out two offensive linemen for a good bit of the season. Their starting tight end has missed the majority of the season with Chase Rogers. I mean, there been so many things that were banged up from Ole Miss that I think Lebby's actually a little underrated on, on what he's done over the course of the season. But the way Durkin has improved this defense, put guys in the right spot. You know, I mentioned it last night. We talk about Mark Robinson. But not every staff in the country would be willing to take a walk-on linebacker, I mean, walk-on running back, and give him a legitimate chance to play linebacker. It's one thing to move positions, but it's another to go, no, look, that dude's just one of our better players. Because I know, I know people are rolling their eyes right now, but I'm just telling you, sometimes in college athletics, the dudes with the scholarships get every opportunity, and that's it. And they don't look over there to see what else is going on on the surface team or the scout team or anything else. Durkin has found ways to – you know, you move Keyjohn Smith to a different position, he's playing better. They, they, they've improved A.J. AJ Finley has gotten better every freaking season. I mean, that's one of the more underrated guys, too, who's just improved and improved and improved and improved. It's second year in the system. And, look, the 15 defense was more talented. It was a better defense. This looked like the best coached defense for Ole Miss since 2014 when they led the country in scoring defense. They were in the right place. Their angles were better. They did a better job with tackling for the most part. They had some errors. They had some stupid things. They gave up points, but they did. They played in this era of offensive football in the SEC. They played extraordinarily well the last five or six weeks. Even when they gave up 31 to Auburn, they didn't allow a touchdown in the second half, and they gave that offense a chance to come back and win the football game. They've done a hell of a job, and it does. They look incredibly well coached right now. And they played with the physicality that you haven't seen since either of those defenses, which is crazy. You saw I mean, you you, going into the season, Brian, that they're going to beat A&M and beat State, and Ole Miss is going to be the more physical team on defense. You would have given that no shot in hell. Yeah, I would have. I don't even know how I could have like pictured that up in my head. I'd be like, okay, well, I guess if this, this, and I couldn't do it. Uh, you, you, you kind of uh, gave a little appetizer. I was going to drop one brain-breaking take on you. I do this to Weldon from time and time again, really just to kind of goad him into calling me an idiot. But I'm just going to float this one out there. You know, today's not the day to talk to Lane leaving. What do they do if that happens? But there was conversation, kind of the hypotheticals throughout the year. You know, should Lane leave this year? Blah, blah, blah. Not really the point. But it was always, how many calls do you make before you go give a serious look and give it to Jeff Lebby? Are we positive that if there was a scenario where you were going to end up with the coordinator, it's not the guy that's been a power five head coach before and his defense improved throughout the rest of the year? No one is. I'm just posing it. If like when within the realm of that conversation, no one has ever once brought up Durkin. I'm just curious why. Um, I got a couple things on it. I don't know really why it hasn't even been a thought. Um, and because I, I agree with you, I mean, I don't know why. Barring, I don't, I'm not advocating for it, but I'm just curious why it hasn't no been thought of. One of the questions I'm about to say, I don't know why you wouldn't explore it. Let's put it that way. 
But if I'm coming down to having to decide between Levy and Durkin for my head coaching job, I need to know a couple things. I need to know, right or wrong, does Durkin's history prevent him from recruiting at the highest level? Is that is there something in all that that would be a turnoff with prospective student-athletes? Yes, no, I have no idea the answer to that. But could other programs use that against him in a way that would actually be tangible and affect recruiting? I don't know. And then, two, between Levy and Durkin, who can put a better staff together? That's it. I mean, like, because frankly, I trust both of them to do the management part of college football, the management part of managing your program, all those different things. I mean, you know, I asked Neil this last night, and we don't really have an answer. It was just sort of a, a question thrown off into thin air. Has Durkin been able to have enough distance to get that extra job right now, or does he have to do this a little longer? Does he have to do it at another place and then get back into the head coaching ranks? Because from a straight talent standpoint, a straight ability standpoint, Durkin is good enough to be a power five head coach. There's no doubt about that in my mind. It's just has enough time passed. Has he done enough to rehabilitate that all the things that went on in Maryland have not uh, impacted his ability to be that leader, to be that recruiter. And I, and I don't know the answer to that. I was talking to, I guess it was Alabama week, you know, months ago, John Talty, the sports editor at AL.com was on, we were doing an interview with him and he went to Maryland and it was still really, thick in his mind, which is not necessarily fair because he's an alum of the school, but I don't know how associated it is. So like, you know, it's been proven that that would fell on other people much more than it fell on Durkin. And if you really look into the facts, I can see how you can get past it pretty easily, but it recruiting like is was, all about public opinion. And I don't know the answer to that. In a very simplistic way to put it, there's a lot more that goes into it. I, I, Cause I actually sat down and read that report whoever it was that wrote that, whatever firm it was, it seemed like a very short, concise version of it is he was incredibly loyal to a fault to that strength guy and didn't stop the problem before it happened. And maybe that was because him not knowing how bad it was. Look, that's not a perfect way to surmise it. And that's, you know, mm -hmm. whatever, go read it for yourself. But I yeah, think that's far more way. complicated than that. Yes, but... exactly. But that seemed the general gist, which that create leaves enough distance. But yeah, it's just an interesting thought. The last thing I had for you was, because here's the deal, real quick on that. Durkin yeah. is not going to get tons of buzz from other schools unless Ole Miss is like a top 30, top 20 defense. Because, like, there's this that weird thing. Their advantage. Yeah, there's like this weird thing with, oh, well, they were still in the 50s. Yeah, but they sucked last season. Like, they, they, there's a relative nature that the average person doesn't really understand there. No, I think you're right. The last thing I have for you was, you know, Kiffin downplayed the rivalry all week. He had the quote that, I'm sure broke some people's brains in different parts of the state about, you know, you shouldn't hate someone where they go to because of where they go to school. I like Mike yeah. and all that really downplayed it. He got into it last night. He, I think he got sucked into it a little bit, not in a bad way. I think, so I, I can't find Ole Miss has not posted their post-game press conference yet on YouTube, but I did see a, a Twitter quote for whatever that's worth about him talking about, I get it now. And he made a remark about the cowbells being annoying, but he did last night. He, you know, he was chirping at the state players a little bit when they came over, kind of doing a couple extra crickers on the sideline. He was very animated on those last two touchdown drives. And then the one that put it away, he was doing that. I hate the deep, the camera cut away so quick. He was doing the it's over kind of yeah. death cross across the thing. What? And it was funny. It's not a bad thing by any stretch, but I was just curious what you made of that because a guy who's you know shown a lack of emotion almost to an annoyance of fans at times, you know, the last thing I guess I would have thought about this game was Lane Kiffin fully going egg bowl mode, we'll call it. And he kind of got into that last night. There's a couple different elements to this. So the first element is that the picture of him walking into the stadium the first time. <laughs> he's got like the black trench coat on and he's in the shirt and tie and he's all dressed up and he's got his AirPods in. And he like looking over and the thought bubble looks like, what the hell is going on and why am I here right now? Like, he, it looked like even before the game, it was complete disgust from the standpoint of Lane Kiffin. I mean, you know, at halftime, he has to go back and apologize because he calls the cowbells effing annoying to Dick Cross in the halftime interview last oh, night. Oh, I didn't know this. That's awesome. Yeah, so I did. I haven't heard it, but apparently he's t answering like some other question. Like Richard is asking him about like corral or something, and he like stops mid sentence and he goes, "God, those are effing annoying." And he like heard a cowbell, except he said didn't say effing. He said the actual word, and then he like just went straight back into his answer and finished talking about corral or the defense or whatever it was he was talking about. Um, and then yeah, he gets in after the game and he he mentions him again because look, I, I said this, the cowbells are so antiquated from a law, a rule, not a law, a rule, because 
It's supposed to be when you get to the line of scrimmage, they stop. A, they don't stop. They don't get penalized for it. It's stupid. It's a freaking bell. And then two, in today's world, nobody huddles. So Matt Corral needs the silence as much getting the play called as he does actually at the line of scrimmage. So if nothing else, the rule has to be tweaked. But point being, I don't think Lane – because, look, when he had gone to Starkville with State – I mean, with Alabama over the years, Alabama just beat the brakes off of him and it didn't matter and it was blowouts. He experienced the intensity. He probably heard some stuff he's never heard before walking into that stadium – it was loud as hell. He was annoyed by the breaking of the rules. Frankly, he thought it was all a bunch of stupid idiots, if we're just being completely honest here from a lane standpoint. And I do, I feel like as the game went on, he got more and more annoyed at the crowd and the people and became disgusted with the overall environment of Mississippi State University last night, where I don't even know if it was like, a, oh, I'm really, I'm invested in this rivalry and it's an Ole Miss thing, or if it's just, God, these people are all a bunch of freaking idiots. I want to win the game. I want to kind of shove it in their face a little bit, and I want to get the hell out of here. Like, that's sort of the way it came off to me. And Lane's been a little lighter, though, in the last 48 hours. I mean, you look at it, and this is this is, this is is nuanced. And I don't want to make too much about it because, I mean, I guess technically he could leave tomorrow. But it feels like Lane Kiffin's back as the head coach next season, I think barring so. something unexpected. His Twitter has been a little softer. It's been more inclusive to Ole Miss fans. I felt like, you know, even like the Thanksgiving thing yesterday, we felt had a little different tone to it. You look this morning and he talks about how great the road crowd was last night. He's making more jokes that are not just about him or Corral, but kind of the school and the program overall, kind of one of them a little bit. It almost feels like that there's some pressure off him, that now that the season goes 10-2, and He's pulled this off. He was able to get this for Corral because, I mean, I think as much as he can love a player, that dude loves Matt Corral. And to be able to see him finish that thing, I felt like Kiffin was a little – just a little more Ole Miss, a little kinder, a little little gentler from that standpoint, and a little bit of, hey, I know I've been talking to you about attendance. I know I've been on you a little bit, but, God, those people over there were morons last night. All right, let's, let, let's move on. It, it felt like he – he did not understand exactly what was coming because he said, yeah, I get it now. I don't think he understood what was coming. And then I think by about the time he went, it's over, he had had enough. He was ready to get out of Scott Field last night. He was ready to get back on his Sprinter van or whatever it was that came back to Oxford. Because, I mean, yeah, I mean, he even was at Emerson. He was talking all the crap over the sidelines, and Kiffin walked over to him and pointed at the scoreboard at one point um, to, to, to the state player. I mean, he was, he was feeling it. He was fully engaged last night. And the two the two mindsets you laid out, I think it's more of the latter of him just being annoyed with the people. But I think Ole Miss fans will take that because it aligns with their mindset. They, you know, as it was anyway, the Egg Bowl is different over there. It's a bizarre environment. The tension is a hell of a lot more than it is in Oxford. Not saying there's not a rivalry feel to it when it's in Oxford, but it's different over there. And I think he got a taste of that last night. A couple of legendary photos out of last night, the pregame one. And then the one of him and Corral could be like a, a rap album cover. <laughs> Just that guy, that man is photogenic for whatever he is. Lane is wearing sweatshirt over sweatshirt and somehow it works. I don't know how he pulled that off. It's hoodie over hoodie. I mean, he can pull off just about anything at this point. I think what he went like, uh, he went, you know, AJ Brown Jersey over button down over hoodie. That guy could wear anything he wants. You know, you, I think you get to a level of fashion. The Kyle Kuzma thing went around the internet where he's just wearing a sweater that was made for like Clifford, the big red dog. I think you reach a tier of fashion that neither one of us have gotten to yet where you could put anything on and people are like that guy that works. And if I ever get there one day, I think I'd have to get taller. I think I'd have to get a little more Jack. We'll talk to all Mrs. Kickers about what I can do about that. But oh. like, I think you get to a level to where anything plays, and that man is photogenic. He, he, well, he he's he, it happened. He's always had it to a certain extent, anyway. And now he's lost the weight. I mean, he yep. looks definitely slimmer, more fit than last year. I mean, I think what was it what was he said he made some quote about how he'd seen a picture and he thought that it, it looked like a snake had eaten his head or something <laughs> last year. We're talking about his his face was fatter. <laughs> um, he's pulled that off, and I also want to see what his bag is when he goes on a road game or even a home game. Because that dude has more costume changes over the course of a game. Oh, yeah. He always changes at halftime. He's got something else after the game. I mean, that cat looks like he's doing a stage production by himself. There's like five different outfits or uniforms over the course of that of game day for Lane Kiffin. Man is well-dressed. Um, another well-dressed Blue Delta jeans. I was going to try to ad-lib a promo there. I can't do it. I wore some last mm-hmm. night. Buy some jeans. Um, but Chase Parham, <laughs> I appreciate the time. This is great stuff. I think I said I'd keep you a half hour, but whatever. This is great. I appreciate it. And uh, 
sure we'll uh, talk again soon. All right. Sounds good. All right. That's our show. Appreciate you guys tuning in. I'm very, very thankful for uh, all of our podcast listeners, the Rippy Wright subscribers out there. Um, I really appreciate you guys. Uh, it's cool. Always cool getting messages from folks that listen to the show. I enjoy the interaction and, uh, you know, I probably don't say it often enough, but I am very thankful for uh, all of you for making the show what it's become. I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunity to work, uh, work with Chase and Neil, uh, kind of joined part of the rivals rebel Grove family. I really appreciate that. It's, uh, you know, when I started this about what, six and eight, nine months ago at this point, it was really just bored, had a lot of free time. I had no idea what it would turn into and the possibility. So very grateful for Chase and Neil, very grateful for the rebel Grove family and everyone else who falls in between, whether you're a podcast listener, newsletter subscriber, I, uh, I really appreciate it. And I don't say that often enough. It makes it a hell of a lot of fun. Anyway, oh, last thing I got to call him up about Matt Corral. I will have a newsletter at some point during this weekend. Probably not today because I'm going to take the rest of this Friday off and enjoy some football. But um, I'll have a normal newsletter out at some point. But I do have a column on Matt Corral's ascension to stardom and being the hero that Ole Miss needed but didn't always deserve up on rebelgrove.com. It's free if you want to go read that. But you should go subscribe to Rebel Grove after that. They are the best. I'm out of here for the day. I hope you guys have a uh, – Safe travels if you're traveling today or just kind of lounging around. Enjoy that and have a great rest of your Thanksgiving weekend. And uh, Weldon and I will hit you guys back up on Sunday. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.